0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to our scripture reading. This afternoon, we're reading from the Gospel of Matthew as well as from Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. So, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. and he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And then we turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, to Corinthians chapter 9. beginning at verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So far, our scripture reading. Let's respond to this reading by singing from Psalm 37, stanzas 3 and 7. This afternoon, we are going to listen to what the Word of God teaches us concerning the Eighth Commandment. And for that purpose, let's also read what we confess concerning that commandment in Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 42, where we confess, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. After the proclamation of God's word, we will respond by singing again from Psalm 16, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Beloved Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Eighth Commandment has to do with our earthly possessions, with our money, with our talents, and whatever else we've been given. And this commandment, like all the other commandments, has just as much to do with our spiritual life. We cannot separate our earthly possessions from our spiritual life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for example... Scripture tells us that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And this distinction also cuts through every part of our earthly life, including our material possessions and the use of those possessions. The manner in which you go about using your possessions, the possessions that the Lord has given you, your talents, your money, your time. Everything, your opportunities, the manner in which you use these will demonstrate whether or not you live in the spirit or you live in the flesh. And so you can see, congregation, that you cannot separate the salvation that we receive in Christ from the redemption of the world. That means then that you cannot separate your salvation from your job, from your paycheck, from your house, your cottage, your bank account and anything else that you possess. You cannot separate God's grace from your daily life. You can't, on the one hand, thankfully accept the salvation of your soul, and at the same time not accept that you are a steward of all that God gives you. And that's also what we're going to focus on this afternoon. I proclaim to you God's word with this theme. The Eighth Commandment teaches us that we are stewards of all that God gives us. We will consider what stewardship means. Secondly, how sin has affected our stewardship. And in the third place, how Christ redeems our stewardship. So congregation, as Christians, we believe that God is the one who created the world and everything in it. Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. We read there, For every beast of the forest is mine, says the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And if this is true of the animals and the birds, then surely it is true of everything else that God has made. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the trees, the grass, the rocks, the minerals, the gold, the oil, and everything in the sky and below the earth belongs to God. Furthermore, we believe that God gave his son to redeem the world. God's creation, this world and everything in it, is included in God's plan of redemption. God has given Jesus Christ a seat at his right hand and has made him Lord of lords and King of kings. The kingdom of heaven belongs to him. He is the King of glory. As we read in Psalm 24 and as that psalm says poetically, the gates of this kingdom are to lift themselves up so that the king may enter in. And furthermore, Scripture says, God has put all things under Christ's feet, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, Ephesians 1. This world, then, belongs to our Lord and our Savior. That implies, then, that you and I are not the ultimate owners of anything. What the Lord gives us to use is not our own, but it belongs to Him, And we may not do with those possessions whatever pleases us. In the Old Testament, the Lord made this clear in a somewhat striking way. It's interesting to note that the prescribed punishments for theft amongst God's people were considerably lighter than the punishments prescribed by the nations that were around them, that other nations were accustomed to. For example, in the nations around Israel, if you were a thief you could potentially have your hand chopped off. And you were expected to pay back much more than the four or five times that is prescribed in Exodus 22 verse 1, for example. And sometimes the Lord even prescribed less to be paid back. For example, in Leviticus 6, the Lord ordered them to add only 20% to what they had stolen, although they did have to offer a guilt offering to the Lord as well. So except in the case of kidnapping, which was treated more like murder, the punishment for theft was rather light in comparison to what people in the ancient Near East were accustomed to. And the reason for this is that the Lord wanted to impress upon his people that they did not actually own anything themselves. We don't really have any possessions And this reasoning is confirmed, too, by the fact that the Israelites had to bring a guilt offering for the sin of theft. In this way, the Lord wanted them to know that theft is, in the first place, a sin against Him. And so the conclusion is that if the things in your possession really belong to God, you have a limited right of ownership. So if something is stolen from you, you need to be content when you get it back And then with just a little bit added to it, with a small percentage on top. You see, it is the Lord who is the one who owns all things. He created all things, the heavens and the earth and everything in them. He owns the earth. He says in Haggai chapter 2 verse 8, the silver is mine and its gold is mine. So the Lord owns the content of your wallet and of your toolbox and of your closet, and of your storage room in the basement, of which you probably don't even know half of what's in it. Everything belongs to him. And the wonderful thing is, congregation, that God, who is the owner of all of these things, the one who made all things good, he makes it available for us to use. All good things, all the good and beautiful things in creation, He makes that available for us, the animals, the plants, the minerals, even the gold and the silver. Why does he do this? Why does he give this to us? Well, he gives this to us so that we can fulfill our mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve in creation, at the beginning of creation. He gives all of these things to us so we can earn our daily bread and fulfill the task on earth which he calls us to do. He makes everything available to us so we can buy and sell and build and make beautiful things and even go on vacation. In other words, it's all available to us so we can live, so we can live freely and independently and well taken care of. Because that is fitting for children of the king. And that's why you may not rob your neighbor. You might not, may not rob him of his freedom or of his possessions, because if you do, then you are threatening his royal position as a child of the king. And you may not rob yourself either. That means you may not become a slave of your money, and you may not enslave yourself by getting into debt way over your head. The Lord does not intend that money and possessions would control and dominate us, but we were created to be lords of creation, And everything in it, including money. And if you think about that for a moment, then you have to come to the conclusion that the Lord gave us a highly responsible position, didn't he? The Lord placed an enormous amount of trust in mankind. He was willing to let us govern and manage his creation, of which he said, Behold, it is very good. And the Lord also had every reason to entrust man with the governance of his creation. After all, he also created man. Very good. He created man with gifts and talents. Everything that he needed in order to to take care of God's creation. In order to govern God's creation. He had gifted man with wisdom and understanding. With righteousness and holiness. The ability and the will to do what God would want him to do with his creation. And then God gave this very specially created creature, this this man, a very special mandate. Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That means he put him in the garden to develop its potential, to discover its riches, to take care of it and to guard it and protect it and then then to remind man that he was not the owner but the steward of creation and god told adam that there was one piece of creation that he was not allowed to touch he had access to everything except that one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had to keep his hands off of that tree. And so in this way, God entrusted man with his creation. And in this way, man became the steward of God's house. But then something awful happened, and we all know about that too, don't we? Satan entered this beautiful picture with this really nasty question. Did God really say that you are not to eat of any tree in the garden? He twisted God's words because with his question, this deceiver implied that God had not really given everything to Adam and Eve, but but that God was in reality withholding something from Adam and Eve. You see how subtle he was. He tried to convince Adam and Eve that God was being miserly, that God was was being unjust and not very generous. But God is not unjust, congregation. God would have been fully within his rights to withhold more than just that one tree. But instead, he gave them everything, everything for food except for that one tree, so that the fact that God withheld that one tree, that was not an unkindness on his part. That, did, that didn't mean God wasn't being generous, not at all, because the man and the woman had absolutely everything they needed and more in order to fulfill the mandate God had given them. But that tree, congregation, that tree was like like a living sermon, right? And in the center of the garden, that, that tree proclaimed... God is God and man is not God. Everything that man has received he has received from God. That tree then was a warning to Adam that he was not supposed to act like the king. It was a reminder, it was a reminder that he was the steward of all that God had created. It was a warning that he should never begin to act as if he was the owner, and as if he was the creator of everything on earth. that tree was a living warning to Adam that he had to remain humble. He wasn't allowed to let his head swell with everything that he had been given. He wasn't to get any grandiose ideas about himself. And he should certainly not make a fool of himself by acting as if he was God, and as if God didn't exist. That tree was there to remind him of his position as steward. But we know what happened. They listened to the lie. They listened to the serpent. They ate from the tree, and they disregarded the warning of that tree, that sermon in the center of the garden. And Adam said, I will take what God does not give me. And in doing so, he treated the Lord's trust with contempt. He betrayed that trust. He didn't want to acknowledge God's ownership of creation. With pretentious pride, he took what he had no right to take. And instead of exercising his God-given power over creation, he became enslaved to his lust for power over creation. And since we are included in Adam... We are no better than he. And just like my father, my first father, Adam, I am not inclined to think that everything that I have belongs to God. By nature, I am inclined to say, this is my stuff. It's my house. These are my kids. This is my money. And I'm going to do with it whatever I please. And it wasn't either as if Adam just stole an apple. And that God couldn't do without that apple or whatever fruit it was. We don't know what kind of fruit. I'm just using that as an example. But that single act was an act of rebellion. By taking the fruit from the forbidden tree, man rejected God as sovereign, as the sovereign owner of everything. By taking a bite from that fruit, he said, God, we are replacing you. We declare ourselves to be in charge. So they didn't just steal a piece of fruit. They actually stole the entire earth. And they handed it over to Satan, you could say. They no longer served God, but they served themselves. They put themselves on the throne as if they were the owners of everything. And congregation, we need to be warned here because whenever we separate the gift from the giver, we commit the same sin that Adam and Eve did. We so easily worship the gift rather than the giver, don't we? Every time we do not accept God's gifts and blessings as coming from Him, we are actually stealing and robbing from the Lord. And whenever we worship the gift instead of the giver, then we profane our life on earth because what we're doing is we're pushing God out of the picture. We're even pushing the Lord Jesus Christ out of the picture when we act that way. Thankfully, congregation, the story doesn't end there. While we abrogated our position as stewards of God's creation... While we willingly enslaved ourselves to the power of materialism and greed, the Lord initiated His plan for the salvation of sinners. Because He sent His Son into this world to restore all things to His Father in Heaven. He came in order to restore the covenant sense of stewardship and ownership that existed in paradise. And He sacrificed Himself so that our eating and drinking and our cooking and our washing and our work and our study and whatever we do on earth, including our spare time, that this, these things would once again be accepted as gifts from our covenant God. In all these earthly blessings, we must see the hand of our God, but they are only blessings from Him in and through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to a third point, how Christ redeems our stewardship. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to an earth that was stolen from his Father in heaven. And he lived here amongst those who stole this earth from his Father. But he came to gain this world back for the Father and for the sake of the Father's children. And so he did not listen to Satan's suggestion that the Father was withholding blessings from him. He didn't give in to Satan, even when Satan offered him all the kingdoms of this world, just by bowing his knee. That was was like a test. That was almost like taking a little bit of fruit. Just, Just one bow of the knee. That's all it would take. But he refrained. And he said to Satan... He told Satan to go away. Man shall not live by bread alone. That is, man shall not live by bread that does not come with the blessing of God. Instead, we shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, congregation, we're not dependent on bread, but we are dependent on the Lord. And so throughout his life, our Lord Jesus Christ bore the sins, our sins, against the Eighth Commandment. He lived without a place to lay his head. He went hungry and thirsty. And at the end of his life, he was robbed of everything. Even his last piece of clothing was stolen from him by the Roman soldiers who gambled for it. And finally, he was robbed of God's presence. And he was robbed of the gift of sunshine when he hung on the cross for three hours in darkness. And so Christ opened the way for us to be reconciled to the Father. And therefore it is possible for us to be restored as children of God and as stewards of God's creation. By faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in Him, we may once again live in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And that is why we may again be stewards of everything that God gives us. And... Everything is ours again in Jesus Christ. Because the Father did not withhold His Son from us, His only Son. Now we have everything in Christ. You see how great the Father's love for us is, congregation. He does not withhold anything from us, not even His only Son. Psalm 84 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And because we have such a loving and generous Father, we can and may expect all earthly blessings from Him as well. He, did, he who did not spare His only Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 See, there is nothing on earth that God withholds from us. Nothing. Christ purchased all of it. And he has paid for the curse of sin in full. And he has received for that payment all power in heaven and on earth. And therefore everything we receive, we receive through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every blessing, every gift, every talent, all our food, all our clothing, our work, our ability to work. Even our friends and our children. Every blessing from above has been purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we may enjoy them. All of it. But as stewards of God's gifts in Christ Jesus, we not only enjoy His blessings, we must also acquire them and use them according to His will. Since our stewardship has been redeemed by Christ, we must continue to exercise our stewardship according to His will. We must also fulfill our task to his this task to His honor, because whatever we have received from God must also be spent and consumed and dispersed on His behalf. After all, stewards act on behalf of the owners, and if we 're not really and truly ready to accept that, then we cannot be stewards of God if we 're not really truly in ready to acknowledge that God in Christ gives us all things, then we're not really and truly ready to be stewards of God. And then we also have to recognize that God gives to the one more than to the other. And He gives different gifts to the one than to the other. And the question is, can we accept that? If you have been given much, do you live in thankfulness with all that you've been given? And if you've been given less, do you depend depend on the Lord Jesus Christ for all that you need? And brothers and sisters, God gives us only a very short time to use all that he gives us. We come into this world with nothing, and when we depart, we will take nothing with us. But in that short time, we have an opportunity to honor the Lord and to receive his grace according to how we use his gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. So exercising our stewardship responsibly, congregation, according to His word, is connected to our eternal reward. God grants us the grace to use our earthly possessions, which are of temporary value, our time, money, and talents, so we can trade them in for heavenly treasures, eternal treasures that cannot be destroyed. And so that faces us, challenges us to to face some, some difficult questions, challenging questions. How am I living in the communion of saints? Are we treating one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are we fair also in how we distribute the tasks in the congregation, or do we leave most of the work up to a small percentage of the people in the congregation? And are we generous when it comes to giving to the poor, not only in church but also to those outside of the church? And are we careful with spending our money on ourselves? Are we in the habit of buying things we don't need and buying things that we can't afford? Does our stewardship exhibit our desire for God to be glorified and for His kingdom to advance? Does our stewardship show that we rejoice, as Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in being partners in the gospel that we also spend our money and our time and our talents for the advancement of God's kingdom. Because does the Lord Jesus not ask us to seek his kingdom first? And if we read through the letter of the Philippians, especially in chapter 2, doesn't that letter teach us that Christ put God's kingdom first? He emptied himself of glory, was willing to become a servant, to die even on the cross And doesn't Paul say in that same chapter that we are to have the mind of Christ? That we are to imitate him in the way in which he exercised his stewardship? Well, congregation, I trust that you believe that too. So then let us be resolved to put him first, to put his kingdom first. And let's do that with everything that we have everything that we've received from our God, our money, our talents our position in life, our time and all the resources. When we do that, the Lord Jesus promises us that we will have treasures beyond measure, treasures that last forever. Amen.